All right, well, first I'll just start by recapping. This is kind of a continuation from last week. Last week we read the verse that God said at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we can reframe what we think success is based on what God said. Because if God was pleased with Jesus at the time of his baptism, he did not say, he did not say, I will be pleased with you once you do miracles, or I will be pleased with you once you get into the ministry, or I will be pleased with you once you get out of the country and go try and minister to others, or I will be pleased with you when people start noticing you. None of that. He was already pleased. He had done no miracles and God was pleased. He had done no ministry and God was pleased. He had not gone to another country and God was pleased. He was not noticed. He was unknown and God was pleased. He did not have an education and God was pleased. He was not making a huge impact on the world and God was pleased. That's huge. There really are people who believe, I'm not impacting those around me I'm not a huge impact like so-and-so, so so I'm not pleasing to God. And that's an absolute lie. That's not what pleases God. What pleases God is love. Jesus Christ loved every single person He ever came in contact with. Every single miracle Jesus did, the reason it was pleasing to God wasn't because it was a miracle, it was because it was done out of love. The reason the ministry of Jesus was pleasing to God was because it was done out of love. The reason when Jesus left the country it was pleasing to God is because it was out of love. The reason that everything Jesus did was pleasing to God was not the effects necessarily. It was the love that He had. It's important. Right? It's important to see that your life does not have to be quote-unquote extraordinary to be pleasing to God. You can have an ordinary life filled with love for God and for others and be pleasing to God. It's very important, very important. And so at the end, I just ask the question, what if our church had Tons of people coming. What if our church had tons of miracles? What if our church had tons of martyrs? What if our church did a ton of ministry? We made a huge impact. But we didn't love, we wouldn't be pleasing to God. Isn't that true? That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. So we want God's view of success. God's view of success is to please God. To please God, we love Him and we love others. And so let's read today um, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, part, part of 12. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, the reason I read all this is because I want to talk about success, God's vision of success in terms of the body, not necessarily in terms of individuals. What happened here in Corinthians is they had the wrong view of spirituality. They had the wrong view of success in the Christian life. And their view of success was tongues, it seems like. They made tongues the big thing. And Paul's correcting it. He's saying, no, you got this idea that this is the big thing and that's not right. Love is the big thing. And what about us? I think we have an idea in our minds what a successful meeting looks like or what success a successful week in the Christian life looks like but we need to check it against God and against his word 
Is that what God thinks success is? There's two problems. If you, if you get the wrong view of success, there's two problems that can happen. The first is you get discouraged when you shouldn't be discouraged. You have the idea that miracles is success in the Christian life. You don't have miracles, and then you feel like a failure. Well, the problem is miracles aren't the standard. Love is. You could have no miracles in your life and be fully pleasing to God. The other problem is you could think, man, I'm super pleasing to God because I've got X, Y, and Z. But God says, well, X, Y, and Z don't please me. Love does. And so you then we feel like, oh, we have a great meeting. We had an awesome meeting. We have an awesome church. I have an awesome walk with God. And then come to find out when we meet God or when we read the scriptures, uh, no, I don't. Both are problems. And we want to solve both those problems by having God's view of success. So first, first thing I want to ask is, is your view of success or what's pleasing to God just one or two members of the body? Is your view of success simply one or two members of the body functioning? So I'll give you an example. Do you think a successful meeting or a successful church or a church that is pleasing to God is when there's just good preaching and that's it? That's wrong. That's saying the body is only one thing and it's just the tongue and that's it and that's all that matters. That's wrong. That's not true. We could have great preaching and be totally displeasing to God in our hearts. We could be totally displeasing to God as a body. It's not true. The other problem with it is it takes you out of it, right? If your view of the Christian life is this one part of the body, then what you're saying is, I don't matter. And that's not true either. You do matter. If this church is going to be pleasing to God, you matter. You have to function in love. Every single member of the body has to be a part. It's not one one part. It's not just the elders. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the husbands. It's, it's not just the parents. It's every single part of the body functioning together in love. So is your view of the Christian life one part of the body? That's what the, that's what the Corinthians did. They made it this one gift and it was wrong and it led to all these huge problems. And it's going to be the same with us if we have a view of the Christian life or a view of the church that makes one part of the body the, the thing. So let me ask you this. When you came in here today, what were you thinking? What were you hoping? What was success defined as for you today during the meeting? Was it every single part of the body loving every other part of the body? Did you think when you walked into the door today, if this meeting is going to be pleasing to God, I am going to have to be a part and I'm going to have to love people today? Or did you think, well, I hope Charles has a good message because that's what's really going to make the difference. You see the difference? It's a big difference. What else? Let's say the same question can be asked this way. If your view of what's pleasing to God is one part of the body, uh, it's, a, it's a wrong view. It has to be all the parts. But maybe you don't think of it like that. Like, oh, if the preaching is good, then everything's fine. Maybe you think success is just me separated from the body being a mature Christian. If I come in and I'm having a good week and I'm uh, being mature, then I could be around all these other people and 
I'm, they're divorced from me. They're, they're separate from me. I can be pleasing to God separate from them. Here, here I am around all these people. If they're mature or not, doesn't matter to me. It's just about me being mature. And that's wrong too. You've done the same thing. You've made one part of the body the main thing. And in that case, it's you. You said, I'm the main thing. If I'm mature, that's what matters. Whereas the reality is, is you are a part of the body. And that's a, that's a wrong view of the Christian life. You shouldn't come in and your only thought be, how, how can I be made mature today? How can I be pleasing to God today? You should want all, every other piece of the body to be growing. So it should matter to you. It should matter to you if there's somebody else struggling today. It's not just about me getting something out of the sermon and going on and living my life. If there's some member of the body over here struggling, then you go help them. Your success can't be just about you. It has to be, go minister to that person. Go minister to uh, this other person that's struggling. Uh, Or just pray for them. It has to be a concern for others. There has to be love. It can't be just about one part of the body, whether that be you or the pastor. It has to be every, every part of the body. What else? If love is success, then isolation is wrong. You cannot isolate yourself and be loving. That's what this says here. There's so many ways this comes out. Look at verse 25 here. It says that there shouldn't be any division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That the members may have the same care for one another. Every member is supposed to be caring for every other member. Every single one. There's not one that's not supposed to be doing that. So there's, again, kind of two ways you could take this wrong. First is, you could isolate yourself in the sense that you think that it's your job to minister to others, but it's not others' job to minister to you. That's a false view of maturity. It says every member ought to be caring for one another. That means people ought to be caring for you. It's not just you pouring into others. That's not the right view. They If you do that, if you isolate yourself in that you don't share your burdens with anyone and no one's ministering to you, what you're doing is you're robbing people of their ability to be a part of the body and to function. They can't use their gift. They can't love you if you wall yourself off. That's wrong, right? Do you see how that's wrong? You need to be able to open up and to say, here's where I'm struggling, and to let people pray for you. And let people function as a member of their body. They, their job is to care for you. But you can't do that if you isolate yourself and you don't tell anyone what's going on. There's another way you could do this. You could do it um, by not caring for others. You could isolate yourself in the other direction. You could not be going out of your way to hear other people's burdens. Maybe you are able to open up and you're able to let people come and minister to you and to pray for you but you're not going out and doing that for others then that's that's not love it says every member cares for one another that means every member is caring for others every member is caring for the other members so what does that look like 
It looks like us loving every single person that's a part of the body. Every single one. There shouldn't be one person that we don't care about. Does that mean that we can't, that we have to spend the same amount of time with every single member of the body? No. That's impossible. We can't do that. It's not possible to split it up evenly. So you may end up, you will end up caring for some members more than, than others in terms of your time, in terms of your prayers, in terms of your nearness and, uh, with them. But there shouldn't be one person left out. There shouldn't be one person that you don't care about that when you come into contact with, you have no concern for. That's wrong. So I'll ask you in this way. Who are you caring for? Are there people you really love here that you're pouring into, that you're praying for, that when they have a burden, you're weeping with them, and when they rejoice, you're rejoicing with them? Is, are there people like that? What about, is there anyone where there's no love? When you meet them, you really don't care if they share their burdens with you, that you're fine with small talk. Just, no, I don't really want to know what's going on in their life anyways. That's wrong. What about, on the other hand, who's caring for you? Are you opening up? Are you opening up to your wife? Are you opening up to your friends? Are you opening up to whoever it is that God has placed in your life to minister to you? You need to be loving others and letting others love you. That's success in the body. So what that means is, it's not... It's good news. It's good news for you because you have, you have a gift and you need to be using that gift and you have an important role. It's good news for the elders because we can't do it. We cannot love everyone the way everyone needs to be loved. It's not possible. We sat down and we were talking about if we had one family over every single week, we would only get through all the families in a year. And that's if we never got too busy. I mean, if there's never a busy week or somebody never cancels. That's not enough, right? You can't, you can't function with, with once a year friendship. That's not a real friendship, right? That's not enough uh, intimacy. So what does that mean? That means the elders can't do it. That means you've got to be doing it. There's got to be people that you're inviting over. There's got to be people that you're loving. There's got to be people that you're saying, no, I know you said everything's okay, but... I can tell by the way you're acting, everything's not okay. What's really going on? You know, tell me. I want to pray for you. And on the other hand, if you're the person that somebody's saying that to, don't close yourself off. Say, listen, this is part. This is part of being the body. Is letting other people bear my burdens. And so I'm going to open up. And I'm going to tell them, this is what's going on. This is what's difficult. And this is where I need prayer. And this is the sin that I'm struggling with right now. So first, the first point was, if your view of success is just one part of the body, that's wrong. Success has to be every member of the body. Second point was, if love is success, then isolation is wrong. We can't isolate ourselves. The third point is this, and it's, maybe it's not necessary. But I think it's important uh, just to briefly consider. This love is more than a decision. I've heard things about love, just love is the will, it's you deciding that you're going to lay down your life for others, it's deciding these things, but it's more than that. 
these verses say that when one rejoices, all the parts of the body rejoice together. And when one weeps, all the parts of the body weep. That's more than just a decision. Right? That's you actually entering in emotionally with people. You have an actual concern in your heart for people. You can't fake weeping with someone. You can't, when someone shares their burden, decide, okay, I'm going to weep right now. God has to help you. God has to come in and change your heart and there has to be something real there. And so what that means is we need God, right? For this to be real, we need God to come and knit our hearts together and to change us. We need God. Now the last, the, that's brief, but the last point is related to that. It's that the motive and the means of this is God, is Jesus Christ. And it's not actually super explicit in what I just read, so I guess this is more of a topical message anyways. But, you know, First John says, By this we know love, that Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So if we're going to do this, we do it because we're looking at Jesus and we see how Jesus loves. And that has... That has meant something to us so much so that now we're imitating that and we want to do that for others. The same love we see in Jesus, we're trying to function like that in the body. right? He's the head of the body. From Him, all it says all the joints and ligaments are, are knit together. And He's the one providing the growth. The growth comes from God. He's the head. So we're looking, each one of us for this to happen, have to be looking to Jesus and looking at His love. And then as that, that love becomes real to us, and then it's pouring out. You know, First John again says, if anyone loves, if anyone abides in love, he abides in God, and God abides in him. If you're going to love, if you're going to love, you're, you're going to need to be in God, because God is love. And as you're uh, abiding in God, that's where the love comes from. And as you're loving others, God's going to be abiding in you. The source is God. The source is Jesus Christ. And so we need to look to Him. So here's what I want to do. There's just a... uh, There's this little book by Amy Carmichael. It's a really good book. It's called If. And I just want to read a short section uh, from that. She says... I have felt these words that she wrote about love, scorching to write, but it is borne upon me that in spite of all our hymns and prayers, so many of them for love, it is possible to be content with the shallows of love, if indeed such shallows should be called love at all. She says we can't be content with just the shallows of love. And the whole book is basically individual sentences that say, If I blank, then I don't really know the love of Christ like I should. If I am unforgiving, then I don't really know the love of Christ like I should. If I don't want to bear someone else's burdens, then I don't really know the love of Christ like I should. So what it's saying is this, is our problem, if we don't have love for the body, is not knowing Christ well enough. It's not seeing what He did for us enough. The answer is to look to Jesus. 
And so for the last, we've only got five minutes left, I'm just going to um, read you some of these, and I want to ask you to think about it. Think about, um, some of these are from her, and some of these are just kind of related to this passage. But think about, is this applied to me? And then think about, how does looking to Jesus change this? So first, if church is just about what's in it for me, then you need to meditate on the love of Christ. Christ didn't die on the cross just for Him. Christ was thinking about others. If you would rather have small talk than actually enter into people's burdens, then you need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I'm satisfied with my maturity, regardless of others, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I isolate myself from the body, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. It's amazing that Christ came down. I mean, He did the opposite. He was not distant. He did not isolate Himself. He took on the form of a servant came down and he got his feet dirty and he got mixed in go to dinners with all the sinners and people are saying, well, what? why are you going to those? And he says, because I came for the sick. He's entering in. He's The next one, if I can't weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. When people are sharing their burdens, we need to be like Jesus. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. He loved. They said, the people on the outside said, look how He loved them. Look how He loved Him. You know, I'll tell you a story. There was a time where I can't remember who was sharing, but someone was sharing something. It was really sad. It was like a big tragedy. And I realized, I got more upset this week when I had to stay late at work, 20 minutes late, than this huge tragedy in this person's life. That's wrong. I should have been weeping with them and I should have been unconcerned about the 20 minutes. I was doing the opposite. I was so upset about this 20 minutes that I lost and I was very little concerned for this person who had this really big thing going on in their life. It should be the opposite. Think about Jesus. He's dying on the cross and He says to John, Behold your mother. What is he saying? He's saying, I've got this huge burden. I'm literally taking the wrath of God for the world on the cross. And what am I concerned about? Somebody taking care of my mom. It's like he's got the huge burden and he's concerned about their little burden. And for me, I do the opposite. I've got this little burden and I'm not concerned about people's huge burdens. That's wrong. If I want to help just because I should rather than because I want to, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I'm more concerned about people's offense towards me, rather than their relationship with God, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. When people sin against you, are you like Jesus, who says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not concerned about what they're doing to him 
mainly. He's concerned their relationship with God is wrong. That's what this sin is showing. Not, oh, they're really mistreating me. That really bothers me. If I only love those who love me, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If my concerns and sorrows and emotions are tied up in things or places rather than people, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If my desire is to be recognized rather than to be helpful, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I can talk about others' sins without sorrow, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I can rebuke people without a pang in my own heart, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. You know, compassion, the word compassion just means you're feeling with the person. You know, if if truth is the big thing, then all you do is you go around rebuking. Bam, bam, I'm going to rebuke this person, this person, this person. But if you actually love, if love is the big thing, then you pray. You pray, Lord, this thing's going on. Help this person to be mature. You, you um, think about Jesus, how tenderly he rebuked the disciples. Peter, after Peter denied him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, it was so tender how he did it. Why? Because he, he really cared about Peter. He didn't just want to uh, beat him down. He wanted to build him up. When, Peter, when he said, Peter, you're going to deny me, he said, I, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. He loved Peter. He was rebuking Peter, but he, he really wanted uh, Peter to succeed. If I'm unwilling to rebuke someone because they might think of less of me or it might make me uncomfortable, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I want to help people grow only when it's easy or comfortable, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If there's anyone in the body I'm struggling to love, I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If you're unwilling to share your faults and your struggles, then you need to meditate on the love of Christ. It's pretty amazing that Jesus, in the garden, He wanted the disciples to come and enter in. Right? He had no sins. But he had struggles and he was saying, come pray with me, pray with me. If you can't do that, if you can't ask people to come in and pray with you and enter into your struggles, something's wrong. We've got to be a body. Not just individuals isolating themselves. The hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. We can't say that. If I crave interesting and exciting things to do rather than helpful things, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. You can love people in a thousand ways that no one is ever going to notice except for God. But if our goal is love, if success is love, then those are great. Let's do them. Let's love people. Let's love people in the little things. If I want to do big things to build the kingdom, but I'm unwilling to do little things, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. If I put my own happiness before the well-being of others, then I need to meditate on the love of Christ. Well, I feel like this was maybe like a fire hydrant and just too much probably, but maybe one thing will be helpful.
Let's just pray together. Lord, pray. Lord, we want to have love. Lord, forgive us for all the ways where we don't love. Lord, we need your spirit. Just we could say a million things and we could know all the right things in our mind, but we need your spirit to come and make them real in our hearts. Please, Lord, make us a body that is defined by loving one another. Lord, forgive me every person that I don't love like I should help, Lord. Lord, guide us. We need to know, Lord, which people should we be pouring into. Would you guide and direct, Lord? We don't have time. Every one of us can't pour into every other person in the same measure. Please show us which person you want us to talk to today, which person to meet with this week. Lord, we need love. Show us more of yourself. Show us more of what you did on the cross. Forgive us and help us. Amen.